Good morning, Front Range. Great to see you guys this weekend. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt, and I didn't get an introduction this week, which means I'm part of the family. Uh, if you've been here for very long, I've spoken uh, probably every year for the last two or three years. I have the privilege of serving as one of the overseers here at, uh, at Front Range, and that just means I get to keep Ernest and Sarah in line, and uh, I get to pray for you guys. I love this church and want to welcome you uh, here this weekend. I want to welcome those of you watching online or out in the courtyard I love some of the, the stuff that you guys do with your message series, uh, with the Series Hub, where there's so much more information that you can find on it. And in fact, I've been a church online member for the last couple of weeks because Ernest asked me to come and preach this weekend as a part of the series, and I wanted to keep track of you guys and what you were doing. And so, so grateful for that. If you're new to Front Range today, uh, as an outsider, I can tell you you're part of a really great church. You're sitting with some phenomenal people, and I would just encourage you to take some steps to get connected. Uh, if you're a teenager, there's a summer camp coming up that's going to be amazing, and uh, give it a try. There's a men's retreat in August. If you are a, a guy here in the church, just take a step to get connected, and what you'll find is this is just a big family uh, that loves each other well and serves each other well. Uh, I, I'm a pastor in Charleston, South Carolina, lead pastor of a church called Seacoast Church, and in fact, our founding pastor, my mom and dad are here, uh, Greg Surratt. Will y'all help welcome them? They're just hanging out in, Char in Colorado on vacation, and a um, little more pressure that they're here uh, listening to me. But we, we are family, and uh, did, did ministry for so many years with Ernest and Sarah and Mike and Johnny and many of the people here on the team at Front Range, and so we're honored to be a part, and I love Colorado. But I have a complaint. Uh, I flew in yesterday, and what I love about Colorado, obviously the weather is great. Uh, I love that there's no humidity. We're in Charleston, South Carolina, where you are basically swimming when you walk outside because it's so humid and there's so many bugs in Charleston. You just get swarmed by mosquitoes. Well, I got here yesterday and I went out to the golf course with my dad and a couple of other friends here and on like the third hole, I got bit by something on my leg. I was like, what is that? And it was a mosquito. I don't know if it came in my bag, but I've never seen one of those in Colorado before. Apparently y'all have had some rain and so let's get that under control uh, for next time we get here. And, uh, but, but honored to be with you guys. Let me ask you a question as we jump into the message. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever talked yourself into a bad decision? Anybody ever done that? Okay, that's great. Uh, most of you told the truth here. By the way, we're in a series called The Ten Commandments, and Mike, during the greet time, asks you to tell somebody that they look great. Many of you lied during, you violated a commandment during the greet time, uh, and so you'll deal with that here in a couple of weeks when we cover that topic. But thanks for being honest. You've talked yourself in to a bad decision. Man, I've done that so many times. That's why you don't go to the grocery store hungry, right? Uh, you go, you're there to get the salad and the chicken, and, and you show up hungry, and all of a sudden you've talked yourself into a bag of Doritos and Oreos. And it's like, I shouldn't have done that. You regret that. Uh, I know some of us have made relationship decisions that, that we knew weren't the right thing for us, but there was this inner salesman that talked us into something that we knew was wrong. Uh, one of the worst decisions that I ever made, my wife and I were very early married. We had bought a house, uh, but we were pretty broke, uh, young married. She was in school, and we had equity in our home. And so we learned that you can actually borrow money from your own house out of a home equity line. And I'm not saying that's always a terrible idea, but we did that. We got an equity line, and we did a couple of projects around the house. But then we had this chunk of money that was just sitting there. Well, we were on a date night one night. 
and uh, we, we were going to a restaurant downtown, and somebody invited us. They said, hey, I'll give you a couple hundred dollars if you'll come and, and be a part of this meeting that, that we have. And so we showed up to this meeting that they were having, and, and it was a timeshare presentation, and they asked us this question. They said, hey, what's the, the, what are the vacation spots that you guys just have had the greatest time going to? And I was like, man, we're 23 years old and broke. Myrtle Beach? Uh, like, I hadn't been anywhere nice. And so they asked this question. They said, well, where have you seen some of your friends go? that you would love to go yourself. And we're like, well, remember that couple went to Australia and that couple went to Scotland. And we start like having this conversation about all these places, Italy and Greece and Switzerland. We'd love to go. And he's like, well, you know what? Your friends have been there and you deserve to go there too. And we began to believe this lie that because our friends had experienced some cool things that we deserve to experience those things ourselves. And we left that meeting as proud new owners of a timeshare uh, who had no longer, we, we had no more equity in our house whatsoever. We used all of that on a really dumb purchase. We only went on one trip with that timeshare. We went to Ormond Beach, Florida. Uh, if you've never been there, don't go. Um, <laughs> we stayed at a smoking hotel where everybody brought their cats and their gerbils and all kinds of animals. And, and I'm sitting there and I was so angry. And yes, I was angry at the salesman because I feel like it was a little bit of a bait and switch. But you know who I was most mad at? I was most mad at the inner salesman, that, that, that inner voice inside of me, because here's what I know about me, and I know this about you too. There is nobody on earth that has the ability to talk you into making a bad decision more than yourself. This inner salesman that we have, and today as we dive into the Ten Commandments, what we're going to do is God is going to help us learn how to silence the inner salesman in our life and help us to make better choices. Now, we're, we're, we're doing the Ten Commandments, and when Ernest asked me to preach, he actually did, gave me two commandments. So everybody else in the series is doing one commandment. He gave me two commandments, but he gave me the same 28 minutes that he gave everybody else to do one commandment with. And so let's jump in with the two commandments. The first one is, thou shalt not steal. I want to show it to you in Scripture. Here's what it says. Exodus 20, verse 15. You must not steal. Here, here's a message on stealing. If you're stealing, stop. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk much about stealing, but just it's, 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 it, there's a lot we could go into about God values uh, ownership of property, and we need to honor that. But just stop stealing. Uh, and, and by the way, that doesn't mean uh, that if you are, are not like breaking the cars that you're good. Like stealing comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Uh, sometimes it, it happens on our tax returns. Uh, sometimes it happens when we bring things from work home that don't belong to us. Uh, sometimes it happens in some of those small ways. So just stop doing that. And the reason I'm not going to go into more detail on it is because this next commandment that they gave me, if, if we'll really understand and process and learn this one, it's actually going to keep us from doing not only stealing, but many of the other commandments that are on the list. And, and that is the last commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, but it's more than that. And so I want us to look at it together. And what we're going to realize with this commandment is that the first three or four commandments, they really deal with our relationship with God. The next five commandments really deal with our relationship with each other. You'll remember these, this was a new nation, Israel, and God's trying to help them. He's not giving them these commandments because he's trying to get them to earn his love. He's already saved them. He's already rescued them from slavery. Now they're establishing a new nation. He's trying to help them to see, how do you do this? How do you get along? 
How, how do you uh, have a set of values that are going to help you do life well together? So the next five commandments are all about how we treat each other. But this last one actually deals with how we, how we handle our own heart. It's, it's thou shalt not covet. And if, if we were being honest, and we were all like serving time in prison for breaking the Ten Commandments, this is the one that we'd be like, yeah, I'm okay with that one. It seems like it doesn't really belong on the list. Like, don't murder and don't want your neighbor's stuff. It seems like they don't belong, but I think we're going to see today that they're actually very connected. And that if we'll figure out this last commandment, it's going to save us so much heartache and so much pain in our lives. Exodus 20 and verse 17. It says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Anybody been struggling with this one? Like you've been hanging out in your backyard, looked over your fence at the neighbor's yard, and you're like, oh my gosh, would you look at that donkey? I love my neighbor's donkey. It's so well behaved and it's in great shape. And man, I'm just stuck here with this stupid donkey of my own. Sorry, I got close there. Like most of us aren't doing that, right? We're not looking, at, looking over that, but let me, let me explain some things to you. Uh, when you look at oxen in the Old Testament, what that is is it's a, it, it represents people's wealth because they were landowners and they were farmers. And if, if you had a couple of oxen, you had a, a small farm. But if you had a, a stable full of oxen, that just represented the wealth of your neighbor. He's saying don't covet your neighbor's wealth. A donkey actually represents the neighbor's transportation. Like they would ride on a donkey or they would use donkeys to get places. And he's saying, don't covet your neighbor's transportation, you know, their neighborhood. It turns out that we actually still covet a lot of the same things that they did back then. Uh, the car and the house and the neighborhood and the wealth and the status. And many of us would, for just being honest, say, yeah, we do struggle with that. I, I struggle sometimes with coveting your pastor, Ernest. I mean, he's always been a great preacher and a great pastor, but I saw a sign the other day and it's like, man, I did not know that Ernest had such a great side hustle game. Not only does he pastor you guys well, but look what he's been up to lately. Ernest Smith's bail bonds. <laughs> yeah, he told you he was on a study break. He's actually out bailing people out of jail for co committing the Ten Commandments. He's just, he does it all, right? But we covet things. We struggle. And in the, in the digital age that we live in, it's especially hard, isn't it, to, to not covet what people have? Like you can feel fairly content with your relationship with your spouse and, and then you open up Instagram and you see that, man, this couple took this great vacation and ah, date night, ha, ah, look what we're doing, it's amazing. And we start to, to think, man, I, why doesn't he take me on date night? Why haven't we ever gone somewhere like that? Never mind the fact that they didn't post the fight they had right before date night or after date night because we only post the highlight reels on Instagram, right? And so we, we start to covet those things. Or you, you may have felt great about your weekend plans this weekend and you were doing dinner with some friends and you're hanging out and, and then you open up Instagram and you see Hillary Surratt at the Taylor Swift concert. Seriously, how did she get tickets to the Taylor Swift concert, right? And we start to start to covet and want and wish that we had those things. Most of us struggle in some form or fashion with this inner salesperson that tells us, because they have it, I should have it too. And God's going to help us with that 
today. So here's what we're going to do today. Three questions I want us to answer. Simple message, what is coveting? Why is it wrong? And how do I stop doing it? So what is coveting? What is it? Does it mean that we should never desire anything? We shouldn't have desires? Most of us, if you're a Christ follower, you've probably wrestled with this, like tension of ambition versus like selfish ambition. The Bible's not saying don't ever desire anything at all. It's not. In fact, the New Testament word that gets used for coveting when we read about it in the New Testament is this Greek word called epithemeo. And it, it literally means to set the heart upon or to long for, and it can be rightfully or otherwise, to covet, to desire, or to lust. And it's used positively and negatively. Like if you think about the scripture where Jesus said, uh, don't desire after a woman in your heart, like don't lust after a woman in your heart, that's that same word of, of coveting. He's saying, man, it's not that you don't commit adultery, but you don't even covet, you don't desire her. Or in that story of the prodigal son that some of you may have read about, you remember this this young kid in the home, he, he desired his inheritance. That's the same word, covet. He, he, he desired, strongly desired something that wasn't his or at least it wasn't his yet. And it led him into all kinds of trouble. But it can also be used positively. You know, God's not afraid of us to have ambition. If you're a, a dad or a husband, it's okay to desire financial security it's okay to, to have a desire to leave a legacy for your kids and to, to experience success and influence in your workplace. That's okay. What, what the Ten Commandments says is don't covet the wrong things. And so, so I'll give you two kind of definitions. My, my definition for covet, the, my summary would be God-given desires gone haywire. God-given desires that have gone haywire, that have kind of, we've allowed them to kind of move into a life of their own and they've gone haywire, and they usually do that in a couple of ways. Number one, it's when we desire the wrong things. We desire the wrong things. Uh, some of you, may, let's say you're single here today, and you have a, a God-given desire for companionship and intimacy and, and to maybe one day meet a spouse and get married, and that's a good thing. And so you do what, what we did when we were single. You, you, you fast dating uh, because pretty much in Charleston, if somebody fast dating, they're going to be married within the year. That's how it works. Just pro tip there if you're single. So you're, you're fasting dating, and you go to the grocery store, and you're just doing your thing. You're, you're in the produce section because you're trying to work on this, this healthy body and keep yourself in shape. And, and all of a sudden, you notice this woman across the way. And, and man, she is, she's beautiful, and something about her stands out to you. You haven't sinned yet. You've just noticed that she's She's beautiful, and you're like, man, I, I think that might be God's woman for me. Like, I, I think he just did that thing for me, that miracle right here in the grocery store. And so you develop a little bit of boldness, and you, you walk up to her, and you start up a conversation. Hey, these carrots look amazing, don't they? These are just phenomenal. I mean, and, and she turns to answer you, and when she turns, you get blinded by this glimmer of light that comes off of her ring finger, and you realize she's got a, a wedding ring on, and, and you realize she's... She's married. Well, up until this point, you haven't violated the Ten Commandments. It's what do you do now? Not even necessarily what do you say, but what do you start to think? Well, I wonder what kind of clown she settled for. I mean, she obviously uh, should, should have waited. And you start to entertain this desire, this idea that maybe something, that door could still be open 
for you. And that's when we get into trouble, when we desire something that is wrong, that's not for us. That's why Scripture doesn't say don't, don't covet an ox. It says don't covet your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's wife. And we see this play out in the infamous story of David and Bathsheba. You may have heard this before, but David was king of Israel, and, and he, he lived such a great life. The Bible called him a man after God's own heart. But this area of coveting ended up in, in one moment wreaking havoc in his life. I want to read it to you, and we can see a pattern that develops. It says, late one afternoon, this is 2 Samuel 11, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Now, I've been to Israel, and you can kind of tell when you go to Israel, the way they built their cities is his palace would have been kind of at the top, and it probably wouldn't have been unusual for him to be able to see into all of these neighbors. Up until this point, other than the fact that he wasn't at war, he should have been at war. If you know the story, the first verse says when kings normally go to war, he didn't. It wasn't wrong, though, for him to walk out onto his roof. And even to, to, to see something, uh, to see a woman of un, unusual beauty, he, he sees it. But notice it doesn't stop there. It says, he sent someone to find out who she was. He engaged with a, 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 a question. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elion, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent the messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. See, it's such a predictable path of coveting. See, first his eyes notice something, and then the the mind admires it. Then the will moves you in the direction of it, and then the body moves in to possess it. And you can see this progression happen with David. And what happens is not only does he commit adultery, but she ends up getting pregnant. Now there's a baby involved. He tries to compound his sin of coveting that turned into the sin of adultery with the sin of lying. And he brings her husband back in and he tries to set something up to where he'll think the baby is his, but the husband has too much integrity. And so now the coveting that turned into lying, that turned into stealing, that turned into adultery has now turned into him sending the husband back to war on the front lines to be killed. And he murders him. And all of a sudden, He goes from coveting something to his life is completely screwed up. It's a disaster because that's what sin does for us. That's why this is on God's top 10 because he knows what our unhealthy desires, what those inner salesmen can do and and lead us in the direction of. So coveting, desiring the wrong things. Did you know that there are some things that are just wrong? I know our culture doesn't say that. I know our culture would lead each of us to believe that pretty much you can do or have or be anything that you want to be. But there are things that God's word says, and it's not because he's trying to withhold us from good things. It's because he's kind of trying to protect us from the wages of sin, which is death in our lives, that God has said, hey, it's just off limits. Just don't do it. Proverbs 24.1 says, don't envy people, evil people, or desire their company. So coveting is when we We desire the wrong things. It's also desiring the right things the wrong way. The right things the wrong way. How how many of you desire financial security? Uh, Anybody have that? Okay, that's good. That's a a good thing. 
Uh, and there are actually biblical right ways that we can go about approaching that. And so I think about that, that, that young guy who desires financial security. And, and so he, he gets a job and he goes to college, gets a job, starts to experience some success. And, and maybe you can relate to that story. What he, as a, a high school student or a college student, perceived as success, now he's there and he's like, well, it doesn't quite feel as good as I thought it would. And so he keeps on pursuing more. And now he's not just pursuing financial security, but he's pursuing this desire to be wealthy and, and rich. And so he's got his job, but now he's doing some, some extra things. He's stopping by the store on the way home every now and then and just grabbing a scratch-off ticket. You know, I mean, the lotto's getting pretty big right now. And so doing that, and I'm not judging you if you're buying lottery tickets, you know, not throwing shade. You do have a better chance of being struck by lightning uh, than winning the lottery. I think three times uh, you have a chance to get struck by lightning. But you know what? Go ahead if that's your thing. If you do hit, you need to tithe to Front Range Church and the building campaign and maybe kick a little bit towards Seacoast as well. But, but <laughs> so he's buying some lotto tickets and, and now he's actually starting to engage in some really risky stock stuff and he's doing some, some crazy things there, trying to just get rich quick and maybe taking a trip to Vegas every now and then and, and gambling a little bit. And all of a sudden, this okay desire for financial security, the desires have kind of taken a life of their own, and now he's ruined his family because he's taken some crazy risks and doing some crazy things. That's what coveting will do, desiring the right things the wrong way. You know, First Timothy talks about this. It says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You ever heard that the money, money is the, the root of all kinds of evil? That's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money. It's that coveting, that desire, that unhealthy desire of money. The fruit of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, why does God warn us against coveting? It's because he doesn't want us to experience the many sorrows, the ruin and destruction that God-given desires gone haywire will ultimately lead us into. You, you want your financial needs met? That's a good thing. There's a pathway for that. Put God first in your life. Work hard. Put him first in your finances. I love Matthew 6, 33. says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Put him first. Live righteously. And he's going to give you everything that you need. Is he going to give you everything that you want? Probably not. Because everything that you want isn't always good for you. Just because your neighbor experienced that, that may not be God's path for you. And a lot of times the things that we want end up being the things that destroy us and that mess up our lives. But if we'll put God first, he's going to take care of the shelter and the clothing and the, the food and the things that we need. So what is coveting? God-given desire gone haywire, desiring the wrong things, desiring the right things the wrong way. I'm going to fly through the rest of this. Why is it wrong? Two reasons that I see in Scripture. Number one, it creates conflict in my relationships. Look at James 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? If you have kids, you should ask that question. <laughs> like, what causes conflict in my family? What causes fights and quarrels in my workplace? What causes those? And then he answers it. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, 
so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. He says, if you want to know why conflict exists, oftentimes it's going to point back to coveting, to these desires that we have that have gotten out of whack. Man, we have so many testimonies, right, of, of, of relationships that have been damaged because of coveting, because of jealousy and anger. You see it in the Bible in, in Jacob and Esau and their story where, where Jacob really desired Esau's birthright and his blessing. And, and so he lies and he steals and he, he gets it and it creates conflict and it destroys a family. And I look at my own kid's life and, man, when something goes wrong for one of us, we're really good at coming in and offering support and help and, and, and concern. But I'll tell you when it gets hard is when good things happen to one of the kids. See, that's when it gets challenging because we see these desires. And man, did you know that if you have kids, that they're going to grow up and, and one day that one of them is going to get a job and make more money than the other one. That's just the way life works. And that's when we really get the revelation of how healthy are my desires? Are you okay if your friend is more successful than you? Are you okay if you know, your, your sibling makes more money than you? See, that's where the quarrels and the fights and the challenges show up. So coveting creates conflict in my relationships. It also robs me of contentment. It robs me of contentment. You know, I'm either going to have contentment or I'm going to be in contention. And, and, and God's desire for us is that we would learn how to live at a place where, yes, I can have desires. I can want to grow. I can want more income, more influence, but I don't need it because I've learned to experience joy with what God has given me and live in the tension of desiring more but not needing it and having everything that I need. That's why I love Ephesians, I'm sorry, Philippians 4. Yeah, Philippians 4.13 is one of those famous verses. Football players put it on their, their you know, face. Uh, we, we hold signs up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to win the championship because I've got Jesus in my life. That's not at all what that verse means. In fact, let's look at the context. It says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned that the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. What that means is I can have little, I can have a lot because all of my needs are being met by my Savior, by Jesus. Honestly, part of what endeared me to the Denver Nuggets this year was I don't know Jokic's relationship with Christ at all, but there's this sense of contentment that he had, that his idea of success was different than everybody else's. And so he would you know, win the MVP award and they're like, man, what do you think about that? And he's like, I don't care about that. <laughs> it doesn't matter at all to me. There seemed to be this place of contentment that he had that I don't need you to tell me that I'm the best player on the team. Man, we're a family and we're doing this together. Are you going to go to the parade? No, I want to go ride horses in Serbia. There's something really endearing about somebody who doesn't need you to fill their cup because it's already full. There's something endearing about somebody who just lives in a state of contentment. 
And that's why God warns us against coveting. That's what he wants for us. You know, every one of us walks into a room with this kind of cup that we need filled. This cup of identity, of fulfillment, of security. And if we don't come into the room with that cup full from our relationship with Christ, then we're looking to everybody else to fill that cup. What do you think about me? Yeah, what, what, what? Do you like me? Was the message okay? Yeah, I, here's the truth. I hope you like my message. I really do. But I don't need you to. Because this morning I woke up and I spent some time with God and I said, God, I'm so content and honored that you would give me the opportunity to share your word. All I want to do is please you. I want to be content no matter what. So what is coveting? It's our desire is going haywire. Why is it wrong? Because it ruins our relationships and it robs us of contentment, the peace and the joy that God wants us to have. So what do I do about it? How do I stop coveting? You know, it's really simple. We have to go back to the first commandment. Because if we're struggling with coveting our neighbor's stuff, we're struggling with commandment number one, which is don't have any other gods before me. We gotta go back to learning how to get our needs met and our cup filled from the only one that can do it. I love Psalms 37 verse four. He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. I used to read that verse and what I thought it meant was that if I delight myself in God, he's gonna give me everything that I want. It's not what he's saying at all. Saying if you'll get your needs met by him, he'll begin to give you new desires in your heart. And all of a sudden you're gonna be desiring strongly the things that God wants for you. God's plans, God's purposes, God's direction for your life. Your heart's gonna start to break for the things that break his and and you're gonna start to live from a place of contentment because you're getting your needs met from the right place. How do I battle contentment in my life? I go back to putting God first in my life because if I'm coveting somebody else's stuff, I'm looking for something that they have to fill a need that can only be met by God. You may remember Ernest in his first week of the series, talked about the different shapes and trying to get him into that box. Well, you have needs and desires that can only be filled by God. Did you know that your spouse can't really fully fulfill that need that you have to be loved and valued? And if you need her to do that, she's become an idol in your life. That stuff that you've been desiring points you back to this need that only God can fill. So I want to close us in prayer. And the question that I would just ask you is, how are you doing with the desires? You know, it'd be pretty obvious to all of us if you were murdering or stealing or committing adultery, but the danger zone is what's going on inside of here that only you know about. Are they in check? Or is there some stuff going on, some desires that you have that aren't healthy? That if you allow them to go to where they're going to take you, it's going to lead to some sorrows and some destruction and some ruin. And I'm going to ask you to pray the same prayer that I'm going to pray, which is a pretty dangerous prayer that David prayed. Which is, God, would you search my heart? Would you surface anything that's not healthy there so that we can do something with it?
We can repent. We can take it to the cross. We can deal with it and, and learn to, to find our contentment in him. Would you pray with me as we close? God, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for every person that's here today. And I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, God, that you desire the best for us. Lord, you desire us to experience, Lord, the center of your will, the center of your blessing. So would you search us today? Or would you reveal any unhealthy desires that are going on inside of us? Some of us, we've been trying to figure out how to navigate conflict. And Lord, maybe today you're surfacing some unhealthy desires that we have. Well, we just want to repent of that. Or we want to turn from that and we want to submit them to you. And as we continue to pray, if you're here today and you would say, man, there, there's, there's some things that I've been desiring to fill a void in my life. I'm realizing today that the only person that can do that is Jesus. That God can, can bring that contentment, that satisfaction that you may have been searching for in a lot of different areas. I would just invite you today in your own way to whisper a prayer that says, God, I, I want to receive your love. Lord, I want to get my needs met from you. I acknowledge that I've searched for you in some ways that have been destructive in my own life and led to death and relationships. And today, I'm making a decision to seek you first, to eagerly desire you and your gifts. Would you help me find fulfillment in you? I want to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus. And there are others of us that we've, we've prayed that prayer, but we've drifted a little bit. And I want to invite you back to putting your desire in Christ and Christ alone. God, we love you. Would you do ministry in this room? Would you do business with us in our hearts as we respond to you? In Jesus' name, amen.